0: Hello, Podwalkers, and thanks for listening to another episode of Goblin Lore. This episode is the second part of our two-part series with Michelle Rapp of Card Kingdom and the Lore goifs talking about the color pie as it relates to art movements. We are so thrilled to have gotten to record for nearly two hours with Michelle so much content that we weren't able to cram it all into one episode and in fact had to cut out significant portions of our discussion just to fit it into a reasonable time frame but this was incredible stuff and michelle is amazing at what she does please follow her on twitter at balefirestrix and let us know what you think of this discussion so without any further ado let's get to the show have we gotten a free yet we, yeah, no, we should go to green. We should get- uh, <laughs> so, so green, green is all about, uh, you know, we, we've sort of touched on each of these elements as we've gone through the color pie here. White, you know, again, at its best or at its, you know, core, we might characterize it as order, um, you know, organization. Uh, blue is sort of curiosity, progress. Uh, black is uh, self-concern, power, all of that. Red is emotion, which can be passion, which can be chaos, you know, all of that. Green is what, Michelle? Where do, where do we get to the core of green?
1: Uh, green is about acceptance. Uh, green, it looks at the world around it and understands that there is a natural way of the world assembling itself and sees no reason for other people to interfere. <laughs> and so it I think art that is inspired that falls into green celebrates the naturalness of, of the subject in a way that isn't trying to aggrandize them in the same way that black does, that doesn't try to study them in, in the same way that um, like blue does. It doesn't try to lust after them. Um, I'm not even sure where Grenard would fit actually in this whole situation um but you know what i'm talking about like basically like 19th century we're just gonna draw naked ladies because we can um that's not green um but yeah no green i the first person i thought of when i thought of green was ansel adams the photographer um he is i don't know if you know of him but he is an amazing black and white photographer who's taken beautiful photos of Yosemite, of um, other national parks. And he's been to like the salt canyons in Utah and, and just his love and respect for art uh, uh, that for the natural beauty, the natural artistic expressions of the world, not created by man, simply carved by wind and sand and water um, and hoof beats and whatever um <laughs> like that is what should be celebrated and that is what should be amplified and so i think artists like him that really relish that beautiful landscape you know that that celebrate the fury and the majesty of nature over you know man is i think the heart of green because it, it emphasizes the um the power like the the chain of life the the circle of life not you may
2: have just done a better job than anyone i have ever met it convincing me that there is a place for green in magic um, <laughs> all she had to do was name drop ansel adams because i mean i if, if i mean um i actually have two uh pieces in my house right now um i picked one up at a it is a sale just because it I like had to have it, even though I have nowhere to hang it at this moment in time. I Ansel Adams to me is I, I I, photography is what I love to do. Um, And photography for me is where I feel I can be effective as an artist in that. I do not have a lot of skill for drawing and I don't have a lot of skill for, I don't know a lot of things, but I can see things in that way when it comes to landscapes, especially. And Putting that into the green realm is making me just, like, re-question my entire life right now because, (laughs) like, I don't want to agree with this, but it's Ansel Adams. And, I mean, he literally got to photograph areas that even now going back to are almost impossible by how much man has touched them in just the time period from when he was shooting until now. I mean, he was alive into, I believe, the 80s even. but his his most of his work was mainly 60s and before in Yosemite you go to Yosemite now you there's smog in the valley I mean it's it's a tough thing it's on fire (laughs) (laughs) even when it's not on fire I mean yeah I mean but I mean I was there at a time when it was you know no no controlled burns no fires there still was a haze in the park that that is there in part because of man and the other thing about Ansel Adams that you, you brought him up, and I'm so glad you did, because I was at the start of this, I'm thinking, where are we going to fit photography, and especially the photography that I want to talk about, which is Ansel Adams, um, is his, he actually does incredible portrait work too, but it is not the portrait work of black. And it is basically photos, a lot of them are, are, are I mean, I don't know if you've seen any of them, they're they're more yeah, what we consider the working mother. class, migrants.
1: Yeah, the, it's, the, it's like the seminal pho- photograph of the American Depression is My Grandmother um, by Ansel Adams. And it is also green, I think, at its heart because it yes. doesn't judge. It's just it's this picture of a woman beleaguered, worrying her two children on her shoulders. And you just understand intuitively, instinctively her struggle. And that is—it's just like the, just the non-judgmental aspect of this. I think green is one of the most non-judgmental colors, other than black. Um, it's just that natural essence of of just the human and just respecting this woman for who she is. She's not a Vanderbilt. She's not anyone of power. She's someone who is actually powerless in in many ways, and that's kind of the beauty of the piece. Um, yeah. This moment of vulnerability.
2: And he did uh, a lot with Western um, uh, cowboys and actually even some of the Western actors at the time. Um, but they really are, like you said, they are meant to be almost appear as if they're candid. Yet you know how much work it went into him to capture that. Which puts them at very different than a portrait for the sake of you are showing off your best.
1: Mm-hmm. Another artist that I think is also very green, at least has done very green work, is Hokusai, actually. In his woodblock prints, he did a series of Mount Fuji, uh, the most famous being The Great Wave. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the most powerful pieces I think anyone's ever seen. And it's crazy that it's like a woodblock, <laughs> like printing in an People apparently just had these around back at that part of time in Japan. It was just like, well, whatever. It's just hokusai. But nowadays we're like, oh, my God. Um, but it's just this this depiction of this enormous wave. Mount Fuji is a sort of in the background, but you immediately see the tension between this primal force of nature and these fishermen in these long boats, almost subsumed by the waves around them. You almost don't even notice them. Your eye immediately goes to that magnificent curve. Um and you immediately understand what the situation is and you understand that this is a display of natural power versus man-made hope and also like industry that ultimately we are but small players in this grand circle of life and it's just kind of it's, it's just pretty crazy when you look at other pieces by hokusai as well in this um in this range um each of them displays the majesty of mount fuji and also just the relationship between mount fuji and its surrounding areas like it it shifts in prominence and scale in color um just kind of highlighting the various ways that this particular very famous mountain um like guess has a presence in the lives of the people around it.
0: I, I want to touch a little bit too, and, and this actually might be a good way to get into our next topic anyways, on on the part of art that I feel is is the most green and where I sort of um, ascribe myself in, in the art world, uh, art movement wise, is the German romantics Um for Ooh. me, for me, Caspar David Friedrich, the, the wanderer above the sea of, of fog is not just a, a reflection of nature and, and the majesty of nature, but it also places us. It places humans in that sphere. And so we now get to see what the human interaction with nature is. Um, I, you know, that Caspar uh, David Friedrich is one of them. Um, Carl Friedrich Lessing is another, uh, but this there's this beauty and this dramatic, dramatic uh, embrace of what nature is and shows and can do um, among the Romantics in, in my mind, especially the German Romantics.
1: The, the last artist I wanted to pop in here just quickly was Van Gogh. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Um, I, I adore his um, Starry Night, uh, Wheatfield with Cypresses. Um, he has such an amazing eye. And, and that's what's so amazing with um, his interpretation of, of nature via the Impressionists. There's this sort of – his brushstrokes that the wild and wanton ways that he's able to capture – um the movement of nature the dance of the stars and the sky and the moon and the way light falls upon the town below um just it 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 clearly wants to capture not just the scene itself but the feeling and the instinct and the um emotions of of what's going on with respect to the grandeur of of this particular setting and yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to throw that in there because I mean, like, Van Gogh, he's so cool. We should put him in. Mm. He has He lost an ear at some
2: point. <laughs> <laughs> he's hardcore. He's metal. I had two kind of movements that I was thinking of, and I see and I'm making sure to not preempt other stuff because I don't see them in ours. Because I want to know less so, because we're going to talk a little bit, I, I know moving into worlds and planes within magic and in art as it's represented in there. But I'm interested in, Michelle, especially your thoughts on to movement slash people and where you would place them i want to start with the pop artist interesting so So, roy Lichtenstein, andy Andy Warhol. warhol like where do you place them
1: i personally i i put them in between black and red um because they are in some ways quite narcissistic but they're also pushing some of the um some of the roles but they're not like when i'm just thinking of andy warhol in particular um he was not afraid to commercialize his art um by any means and you know the the consumerist aspect of pop art um the heavy influence from I guess, a very capitalist sort of pop culture-esque um, aesthetic. That's what makes pop art, in my opinion, very, in some ways, black. But that, but the expression they're trying to like trying to change a little bit of our perception of what we take for granted, taking familiar images, turning them on their head, um, I think that's the aspect of red that we see there. So that's okay. where I would kind of place it.
2: Joe? Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's a really good thought. I like that a lot. I'm thinking a little bit in game terms, but one of my instincts was blue because of, uh, you know, the the idea of progress and liking um, machinery. You know, sort of liking how, you know, all of that works. And and I believe the Prada. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe, uh, you know, how the pop art was manufactured or was created was mostly manufacturing
1: mm-hmm. at least um a lot of Licksh- a lot of uh warhol stuff was yes okay Liechtenstein i believe what did all of the stuff himself he he painstakingly oh. put in every pixel <laughs> wow um yeah wow Matt
0: um, and that was
1: and, yeah. and that was what made Lichtenstein such an incredibly like interesting artist because he took something that we would take for granted in a Sunday cartoon thing and, and replicated it painstakingly technically, um, by hand.
0: Wow. Yeah. So maybe yeah. I would, maybe I'd put a little Warhol a little bit, you know, maybe he's dipping his toe into blue a little there, but I, I completely agree. I, I would, I would just ditto and echo what you said, Michelle.
1: So Where would op- we,
0: oh, go oh, ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no. You go.
1: Where would we put Frida Kahlo? I, I kind of feel like she's super jund.
2: <laughs> mm. See, now we're getting really deep because we're okay, right now sorry. doing three-card color. Well, I mean, it just in terms of for our, this being our first episode on the color pie. Um, <laughs> sorry.
0: Oh, my god. No, because I,
2: I think that because the other... Uh, yeah, I'm she's red. She's red. Mm, she's more than red. Um, but I think this speaks again once, I think to the point that we're kind of distilling things down to a little bit of their essence and where we would like to place them and knowing that truthfully most of what we would want to enjoy is a lot more complex than that and it's going to bleed. Um, mm-hmm. Because the, the, I'm laughing at the Frida Kahlo, Kahlo because the one that I was going to li- exit with is somebody else that I really feel is complicated and is not potentially even a two-color card 2 color combination either. Um so I really appreciate you bringing up Frida, and now I want to hear why she's junned. God,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well she's definitely red black um, because she have you you've seen her her self portraits right mm-hmm. like yes they're they're amazing. I, Frida Kahlo is one of my favorite artist um, because she challenges. She wants okay, so her, her portraits are not portraits of of. Um, conventional power but they are empowering because she takes her vulnerabilities um, her heartbreak her physical pain and represents it in a way that is shameless and without any judgment just puts herself out there in the most monoblack way possible but the creative way with which she expresses herself the very natural way that she does it she champions her own femininity she, she she sees no shame in who she is as a bisexual amazing Mexican German woman like it's just who she is and she is not afraid to put herself out there she's not she's not going to apologize for it um and that's why I kind of feel like she is incredibly John because she combines the um the empowerment aspect of black um the shameless aspect of black. Uh, with the passion of red, with the natural intuition and instinct of green.
2: Well, I, I would Ooh. say, like you were talking about, even with her um, self-portraits amplifying some of the flaws or amplifying specific things in a way that isn't, it, it's still not judgmental, but it's definitely drawing attention in an intentional way. Mm-hmm. A, drawing attention in an intentional way.
1: Yeah, I would have to agree. Absolutely.
2: Well, then my last one, since I know we're already, we're probably on three episodes by now, <laughs> but um, is it, 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 because it's somebody else that I think at first glance, and, and, and this person came to mind because of seeing how his art was trying to be co-opted by more right-wing groups. And I think that this is why it speaks to his complex nature, which is Norman Rockwell.
0: Hmm. Mm.
2: So... I don't know if people saw, but, you know, there was the whole trying to use of, I mean, at one point people talking about these American values and like, why can't we return to the good old days? And they were literally showing Norman Rockwell paintings, which is funny given that Norman Rockwell was kind of an agitator.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I, to me, I I think he's almost Boros, right? Because, I mean, when uh, the first, Piece I always think of after the the silly, um, uh, the what is it the the Thanksgiving one is the mm-hmm. one that uh, he made of uh, what is it called um, the problem we all live with um, it is a painting of a small black child black girl a little black girl in pigtails in a white dress being guarded by men in suits by white men in suits and in the background you can see someone's written the n-word on the wall and there's like tomatoes being thrown at her and I, i i think he he does exemplify i think a lot of values i think that his work definitely preaches a message of um how society should be to some extent um and he wants to impress that upon people but he's not content to simply let the status quo be as it is, which is why he would paint stuff like this. He wants to show that through his own artistic expression that other people have rights as well. So I think that there is definitely a very benevolent, benevolent mono-white aspect to Norman Walkwell, but I think that under there is an undercurrent of wanting freedom of, of like the, a definite passion that underlies that um more polished like happy 50s looking people exterior.
2: I think he's a really clear example of where the art and what you're supposed to initially see with some of his paintings are meant to evoke a folksy type of lifestyle that he is saying is almost kind of a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, And just real quick before we move on, I I, I just have to bring him up because since we've been talking a lot about portraits, that his self-portrait is probably one of my favorite paintings that I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. No, it's great. He's literally looking in a mirror and you see this guy with like really thick glasses, looks like he could barely see out of them. And he's looking in this mirror and then he's painting on a canvas beside him that has da Vinci, it has Van Gogh, it has... All of this kind of, uh, there's, there's a couple of the artists that I don't really know on there. I think there's some cubism. But, and then he's painting himself, but he's painting himself without the glasses almost as, the I mean, it would be how he wants to be seen or how he would envision himself being seen, the ideal him. No glasses, this handsome, rugged-looking, good-looking man. But you can tell just from the way that the, the painting is that it's not reality.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's a question of, like, image and perception versus reality.
2: Yeah. And we've talked a lot on this show about creating our own narrative and and the realities that we kind of create or paint. And I just wanted to leave with him just because of that.
1: Oh, yeah. No. Norm Rockwell is really, really great. I'm checking another painting he did, Freedom of Speech, um, which which has a man standing up Mm -hmm. um, and clearly about to deliver something and the, the people around him are looking at him expectantly and not aggressively, like not in any negative way. They're just looking at him and waiting to listen to what he's saying. And that's sort of, again, this, I wouldn't say it's propaganda, but it definitely has this feeling of um, instilling a, a system of behavior that we should be engaging in at this point at this level. I mean, we have freedom of speech, we have the golden rule, we have the problem we all live with. These are all paintings that have a message, a specific moral message about how we should be um, treating one another as humans, or how we should not be treating one another as humans.
0: Wow, that's yeah, that is awesome. I I wish I had something more. Uh, insightful to say then wow but i'm like <laughs> no I'm, i am sitting here just soaking in this is this is great and and yeah you do have that sort of there's a morality to rockwell there's a and there like you said hobbs too there's that softness that i think that was you you said there's that softness that sort of like gets you to buy in and then you start to see the agitation underneath the surface you start to see the pushing and the the pushing the boundaries i and i love that um Wow. Well, Uh, Michelle, we really want to thank you just even for this discussion we've had so far. Just,
2: I mean, we've, like Joe said, we've kind of introduced the color pie, but the goal of this cast a lot of times is to bring these concepts that we use within the game to more of a real world. And I feel like some of these, what we've discussed just here with the art, is a way to kind of take the color pie. And we probably just waited, made it way more abstract and complicated than it needed to be. But I hope, <laughs> maybe not, that this might resonate with some people a little bit more, even non-magic people that are listening to this cast right now.
1: I'm just like, I, I'm trying to think of like who else in the magic community would actually like get all the references. I'm like, fourth this Mike. And, and Magic Man Sam.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I think the, the point being, though, is I hope <laughs> you'll have to let us know if we did this, listeners, is that the discussions themselves, I think, tie nicely to the color pie, that it wasn't as important and that maybe this will encourage people to go out and look at some of what we've been talking about and challenge us and even say whether they agree or not agree. But that it, I think that it's kind of demystifying art and art movements in some ways to be, to try to make them more accessible and i'm hoping that maybe if we can frame it in the context of this game that we all know and play once again i'm presuming that our listeners do that
0: <laughs>
2: will like maybe this will just open up a different avenue for them
0: well and i was gonna say too uh, in a, on a similar note we, I've been a performing artist. That's most of what my career is, is you know, has been. You know, I I teach students how to perform. I teach you know dance. I teach theater, and for a lot of kids, I I think when you step into a theater classroom or a dance classroom, there's that thought of that's not for me. That's for somebody else. Especially, I, I taught a lot of kids who came from lower income backgrounds or troubled households and and that sort of thing. And they would say, Nope, that frankly, they they would say to me, no, Mr. R that is a a white person thing. That is a rich person thing. I don't care. Why is this important to me? And, and I do think that if we start breaking down some of those uh, barriers to understanding what art is, whether it's performing arts, whether it's, you know, uh, visual art, whether it's music, I'm sure there's multiple episodes to be had I- of discussion in the in each of those. But if we start breaking that down and making it relatable, and and making it something where it's not this, this behemoth that you see and you go, I can't possibly understand what that is because, you know, I, I I've never had exposure to it. If you know, like I'm a I'm a green person, I'm a green mage I, in magic, and you hear us talking about. Uh, You know, Ansel Adams talking (laughs) about the German romantics and Ansel Adams. Maybe you'll go out now and when you see that Ansel Adams expose happening or, you know, in in your paper, when you see that exposition happening, you'll go, oh, I'm going to I'm going to maybe check that out. You know, I I hope that that can be what we do with this. And and Michelle, I think you did a fantastic job of of taking each of those elements and, and breaking it down in a way that does exemplify what what both the artists are about and what the color is about i kept there sitting there trying to go like is there a way to to sort of piece this out but they're so perfectly unified that i don't think it needs to be i think there is they're they're all like they're all woven together really well and that's kind of the nature of the color pie it's there in each of our lives well, I, I, I want to say thank Michelle, too. I mean, she's oh. going to never. She's, <laughs> We're just going to keep her on for another two hours saying thank you.
2: Right. No. I mean,
0: she's going to truly experience a Minnesota goodbye. Um, but <laughs> the fact that she
2: even, you know, like artists whose work I had seen but didn't know much about the artists, like, the Hokusai especially learning more about him. Like I've literally been sitting here reading about him while I haven't been talking <laughs> because I was so fascinated by like that art that I've seen, but I don't know much about the artist. And so, yeah, thank you for bringing up some of these artists that I may not have thought of.
1: No worries. I, I hope I've changed some folks' mind about Yoko Ono a little bit, you know, <laughs> not, not the best musician, but that was not her point of, <laughs> um, she is she is a great artist i i believe it, it's just it's so much fun to use the color pie as a critical thinking tool um and it, it just applying it to so many things and that's what makes magic such a great game because the roots of it the breadth of the color pie um provides this amazing sandbox in which almost anything and everything can fit and i don't know if that was what Richard Garfield intended, but it's become that way, and I, I love that it's it's become that way, and that we're no longer, you know, like uh, I don't know if you've seen that old nineteen nineties uh, commercial of like the mages tossing a tennis ball of magic at each other. Oh my gosh! Um, it's amazing. It's so good. Um, by which I mean it's terrible,
2: um, but
1: I I love that we've moved past that into something
2: um, deeper and richer. Before we finish up today, because we've gotten a little deep, which we tend to do, and then I always have to find a way to be silly or bring it back because otherwise I don't feel happy. Michelle and I have discussed a topic on Twitter that we want to bring to kind of the end of this episode, which I'm going to guess is going to be the end of the second episode. We need to figure out pairings for tea. and Walkers.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Yes. So, uh... Okay, do you want to start or should I start?
2: You could start.
1: Oh, okay. Um, I think, well, Nissa would obviously go for like a gyokuro or another really nice uh, shade-grown green tea from Japan. It just has like that really rich umami taste. You really get that vegetal, those vegetable like grassy notes and there's some sweetness there, but sometimes also some saltiness. I, I'm not sure why, but it tastes a little bit like seaweed. It's just like the most perfect green tea ever, at least in my opinion.
2: See, um, and I'm already going to be disagreeing with you straight off the bat. Oh, okay. I have Go- Nyssa going even more simply than this. She is taking the bark off of the manzanita <laughs> tree. She is oh. literally up and down, <laughs> just shaving some bark off of a manzanita tree. And then heating that up in a cup of water.
1: That's fair. I, I, I'm down for that. <laughs>
2: wow. That's cool.
1: She can have both. I mean, it's... Like... <laughs> <laughs> no, Nissa. you may only have one T.
2: <laughs> you were tied to one tea for the rest of your life.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely not scoring this, so...
2: Okay, uh, so next.
0: Let's do uh, Jace
2: the Mind Sculptor.
1: Uh, Jace would be like an Earl Grey...
2: Yeah, see, that's literally what I was going with. Dang it! Because I love Earl Grey, <laughs> and it's boring, but it's also ah, just so good.
1: It's, I like. I don't think Earl Grey is boring. Okay. I think that um, if made properly, like it. One, it's a high caffeine tea, mm-hmm. um, so Jace will appreciate that. Because
0: <laughs> um, he doesn't sleep, and... he's doing way too much research
1: doing way too much research can't can't even right now just needs (laughs) all the caffeine um but it's uh it's it's got that nice like bergamot citrus note which i think would be really lovely to have on a foggy ravnica evening or morning like it's a it's a czech city so you know when the fall and evenings come in when the winter comes in like having a nice cup of um Earl Grey would be really great. And apparently, Frasca also likes tea, so they can drink Earl oh. Grey together, except she could also, yeah. Except she probably would love an oolong, a Taiwanese fire roasted oolong, but, you know, it's all good.
2: <laughs> I, was, I was going much darker and just thinking that she was slowly putting Nightshade into Jace's Earl Grey. Oh, good lord. Oh. No, she likes the guy. Yeah, now. Well, <laughs> well then. Then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man.
1: Well, what about Gideon?
2: so like here's my thing with Gideon I think we talked about this is like I have a trouble with Gideon because I think that whatever tea he has he's still gonna find a way to put like some soy-based
0: protein powder into it oh I was (laughs) just gonna say is it Powerade
1: (laughs) so so I was thinking maybe it was like not like a tea like not made from a tea the tea plant i was thinking of like maybe um some kind of high vitamin fruit infusion with like goji berries and stuff so it's like yeah something like that that's like
0: like a blueberry size sort of
1: yeah so it's it doesn't have caffeine because like no caffeine for gideon um but yeah no something something like like and high in antioxidants and, and stuff like I'm sure he'd be down for that
2: and there's still protein powder I'm telling you <laughs> no way he's not having a drink that doesn't have protein in
1: protein. it
2: protein <laughs> okay oh, so god. everybody's favorite Liliana
1: oh god I think like she would actually really oh gosh so she ha- would have a black tea but there is a Blend that I have in particular at home. Um, oh wait, no. I know what she'd like. She'd like a really good pu'er, like a really old tea. I have a 1960s Zhang in my fridge, and I think if you steeped it at its like most robust, she would probably really like that because it's um, it's a little dusty. It's a little earthy, but it's got like plum and mint um, notes. It's just a really lovely aged tea that gets better as it gets older, just like Liliana. Ooh.
2: Nice, nice. See, I was going to take us back to Liliana in what I remember being kind of her first iteration, where we have a much more Middle Eastern presenting Liliana, mm-hmm. um, which don't ask me why we still don't. But so I'm thinking of that, something that's another Chai episode. Yeah, That is another episode. I was given to have some sort of a spice chai, either masala or something that's got some cardamom. It's going to have a little bit of a bite to it. Oh,
1: that's Chandra for me.
2: Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. I, and Ch- you're right. Chandra's got the spicy. She's yeah, super she spicy. Yeah. And she's from Kaladesh. So,
2: Yeah. Yeah. See, I had alcohol in Chandra's just for some reason.
1: No, a hot, just a hot toddy.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: no, that's Jaya Ballard.
2: <laughs> Literally a hot toddy. Um, <laughs> so, um, man, this could be recurring. Uh,
1: a Johnny would probably be um, a milk oolong, I think. <laughs> probably. Yeah, that would be my I guess. Elspine is probably like a really delicate white jasmine tea. Oh. I don't know why. Or maybe that would be more Tamio.
2: See, no, Tamio, and maybe just a uh, play on her name, then I'm doing some real weird just like onomatopoeias in my head. I have her with tapioca bubble tea.
1: But what flavor? Mm.
2: See, oh, I don't know. <laughs>
1: See, that's the thing. I I didn't. I wasn't even thinking about tapioca pearls. But uh, yeah, for me, like honestly, she would be like matcha or something like that. Because matcha has high caffeine as well. It keeps you up.
2: Yeah. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. She's researching.
1: Yeah, she's a grad student. She needs it. <laughs>
2: See, I, I'm telling you, though, you can get matcha with tapioca pearls. I, I oh, would yeah, do that can. in a heartbeat.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It would be yeah. a little weird, but it's totally fine.
2: But it's cameo.
1: It's Tamio. Sarkhan is Lapsang Zuchong. <laughs> it's a smoked tea and he's from a high place.
2: Um, Not so, that kind of high. This is, a family show. <laughs> this is a
1: family show. But it's a smoked tea and it tastes like I imagine the inside of a Tarka's mouth. So I <laughs> kind of that's that's basically what I think he would enjoy. <laughs>
2: So who do we have from Ixlong that could be eating drinking some coca tea? Quatley? Oh yeah. I'm telling you, this is a whole market that Wizards hasn't explored.
1: Oh yeah. No, don't even get me started on like, why don't we have a makeup line? But anyway, that's
2: (laughs) We do have some soda.
0: Well, you know star wars star wars has uh gosh what was it they also had a, a shampoo line for the new released movies and kylo ren featured on like hyper uh, hyperspace apple was the flavor the s- scent of the shampoo because of his why long is, luscious hair
1: why is apple the flavor of fascism
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, that right there is the
2: quote of the episode because i don't know
0: <laughs> but we do we actually
2: did get a, a line of jones's sodas for magic the gathering
1: yeah and and you know that's not enough and i'd like something that i mean come on we just we have cosplayers we just yeah anyway
2: i would totally drink tea i would drink jace earl gray
1: ah uh, yes Ravnica earl gray Shade grown and roasted in the fires of Rakdos.
0: <laughs> That's our show. You can find the podcast at Goblin Lore Pod. You can email us any questions, comments, or concerns at Goblin LorePodcast at gmail.com. You can find Michelle at Balefire Stricks on Twitter. She also writes for Card Kingdom and is a cast member on the Lorgoyf's podcast available on iTunes. You can find Joe Rediman at findhorn that's F-Y-N-D horn, on Twitter. You can find Hobbs Q at Hobbs Q, and you can find Alex at Alexander New M. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.